Hey podcast listeners, before we begin this week's episode, I want to share two quick things with you. Thing number one, this episode you're going to hear from Disruption Joe, the founder of the Chicago Blockchain Project, and they are hosting the Voice of Blockchain Conference right here in Chicago at Navy Pier on August 24th and 25th. There's going to be thought leaders, speakers, and experts from around the world flying in for the conference. Tons of activity going on, including Yours truly, Raj Nation, will be speaking at the conference on making your pitch a performance. And that applies not to just blockchain startups, but to startups and companies of all shapes, sizes, and industries. This is a fantastic opportunity to get involved in the blockchain movement, whether you're just a beginner or you're a seasoned veteran in that space. You can learn more and get tickets at chicagoblockchainproject.com and use code CBPMeetup for a discount on your ticket. Thing number two, this episode we had a little bit of issues with the audio recording, so you'll hear my voice be pretty loud, but Disruption Joe's voice is going to be pretty low. It looks like our microphones weren't exactly working, so I did my best in post-production to even out the audio levels, or, or rather raise Joe's audio levels, but you may find while listening that you have to increase the volume whenever Joe talks. Apologies that we didn't get that figured out while recording, but I hope you enjoy the show regardless. So now, let's listen. Is blockchain the new internet? I think it is. There's, there's the podcast. It's done. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Startup Hype Man's Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, a.k.a. The Raj Nation. I am your show's host and the founder and creative force behind Startup Hype Man, helping startups everywhere build their hype by creating a message that sings. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. It's about the mindset, processes, and strategies to help you build a badass company. Now, before we dive into today's conversation, I would like to extend an invitation to join our tribe at StartupHypeMan.com. Enter your email address there, and you will never miss another episode of this show, getting an email in your inbox every single week when we drop new episodes on Mondays. You'll also get my weekly thoughts, strategies, and ideas on how to build up your hype and create a raving fan base. All right, let's dive in now to this week's conversation of Discover Your Inner Awesome. Welcome, everybody, to Discover Your Inner Awesome. Today on the show, we have Disruption Joe. Joe is the founder of Chicago Blockchain Project, as well as their conference, the Voice of Blockchain Conference in Chicago, August 24th through 26, 2018. Disruption Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you. You're an incredible storyteller, so I get to talk to you on this podcast, right? Yes, you're going to do a lot of talking on this I, podcast. I in wasn't fact. sure. I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, every story needs an audience, so so you'll you'll have that for sure. So, our topic today is is blockchain the new internet? And I'm excited to hear from you about this because to me, blockchain is still this almost like amorphous concept that exists for a lot of people and it, and it's almost like there's 
people who are experts in it and know it really well. And then there's people who have heard of it, but it seems like there's very little middle ground of like people who are not experts, but they get it and they know its purpose and utilization and why it's important. So just to kick us off, like, why is this on your mind? Why is it important to you? It's on my mind important because I used to spend a lot of time uh, where other people would watch like How I Met Your Mother or Westworld and that. I, I enjoy watching comedy. <laughs> you know, I enjoy watching somebody get up there and throw out some crazy, you know, forward-thinking ideas. And, and blockchain and AI were entering the same kind of at the same time, really picking up steam. And uh, I went with disruption, Joe, because I couldn't decide. But as I wanted to start uh, building a company, branding, working for myself, I thought disruption, Joe, was a good name because one, I. I I think my attraction is to those things that have the disruptive power, which is really where something's been done in the same way so long that it has this incumbent power, but it's actually working much less efficient because all the regulations and the uh, power of influence that they've built up over time have made it so they can be X amount less efficient or less good at doing something, but still maintain their lead. So as critical mass builds up on new great ideas, something disrupts, it explodes like a volcano past it because it has the momentum and the velocity to just go around it like a car in a race and drafting behind them. And it just has so much capability, more capability and power than the, the old thing had. So blockchain was a very specific thing to me in that I think everything else will be touching it. I do think it's like the new internet because it, most people are looking at this cryptocurrency side of it. And I look at it as a set of protocols like the TCP IP or HTTP that everybody knows of and has never really looked into. And why didn't they look into it? Because it didn't make anybody money. Somebody, some awesome developers 20 years ago were going out writing these codes uh, that would let us all connect to each other. And you didn't have to ask permission of any. had a connection to the internet or uh, <clears throat> you could dial in and connect to any other computer that ran this protocol that would let them connect. Now all of a sudden, we have this thing that is a protocol that allows you to exchange value instead of just information. So think of what the internet and like bloggers and YouTube has done to media and now apply that to any trusted intermediary that we had to use for value like banks uh, anybody that was like governments hold titles in between because they're the trusted intermediary uh, any institution that is an intermediary in a situation where you need trust people that don't know each other that's where blockchain comes in Right on. And I'm excited because I, I think this episode is a, a good chunk of it is going to be like almost like a blockchain 101. And, and I know for people who are learning, including myself, like even just what you just said is really helpful in, in, to, to grasp the concept of it. So before we dive into that, though, I want to dial it back and learn more about you. Let's take it back to the early days before you were disruption, Joe, when you were just Joe, Joe. <laughs> uh, not Jojo the singer, but, but Joe the person. <laughs> and where did you grow up, and how do you feel that 
impacted the way you see the world in this this mindset of disruption? Yeah, I grew up uh, in Chicago and the suburbs, Bolingbrook to be specific, came back to go to DePaul. And We're both was, DePaul alumni, by the way. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Go Blue Demons. Yeah. Uh, do we have a team still? In- yeah, they, they win about two games a year, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my mom was basically a single mom. My, my biological parents got married when I was eight. So I spent a lot of time uh, at the babysitter, just hanging around at the apartment complex we lived at. And I'm not sure exactly how that affected, but I do know that I, over time, having, uh, like, let's go to Wendy's for your birthday dinner kind of things, grew up with a uh, natural uh, predisposition where where being broke uh, literally puts, like, depression on me, so... Early, early on, you know, I got a job when I was 14 because we were never able to get our own things. You know, I couldn't ask for it. And I worked full time, you know, from since I was 14 all the way through college, you know, all paid for my college as I went for the most part all the way through and just got used to having a job. And the, the disruption, Joe, really came from that. You know, my first time being 19, getting promoted a couple of times. And a, a guy, his name was Bob Beggs. He was an older guy that ran this parts department for 40 years. And Bob got pissed off, decided to walk out. And I stayed all night. Uh, all weekend long, I stayed up, learned all of our processes, and started sending back forward all of these parts and doing all the you know, uh, process work and administrative work that was very specific to the corporate. Learned it all so they didn't have to hire a manager. Six months later, uh, I asked the GM, when am I going to get the title and the money? And he said, you're not. And that was the first time where I realized it doesn't matter what you contribute to the world. You are told by the world what you're worth. And at some point, the, the world will say, or whoever's in control will say, you know, we're not willing to take the risk that you are to get to the next level. So you have no opportunity to get to the next level. And you're just being told what you're worth. So I see Bitcoin come along and you can just hold a Bitcoin and develop solutions around it, like payment solutions or businesses that are promoting it, using it. And by holding it and contributing to the community, you can get paid when the value of it goes up as a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, I, and as you talk through that story, I, sort of almost what I extracted early on and what you said was you're in the apartment complex um, you're kind of always hanging around the babysitter. And did you almost feel like there was like multiple people at any given point or like several different, not like parents, but like people watching over you, you know, throughout your childhood? Yeah, you know, I was uh, kind of a, a bad teenager, not in like going out and I wasn't killing nobody, but uh, I, I was not getting great grades because I was bored. I was under um, challenged. Uh, I wanted to learn a lot more than I was, and, and there just wasn't um, any system set up for somebody that's not in a good neighborhood that doesn't have the attention. You know, if your parents aren't there long enough and during the day enough to interact with you to say, "Okay, this this person isn't getting mm. you know what they need to be fulfilled," then you're in a bad place. And I bet you that a lot of people that come from uh, less well-off neighborhoods 
have incredible potential and just get caught in the cycle where where they no longer have a place where they can actually realize that potential. So after a while, if you try hard and you never get anything out of it, what do you learn from that? Not to. How many years <laughs> of doing that do you have to do that? Yeah. By the time you're 18, if you've been trying, because the kids that I grew up with, most of them started trying when they were pretty young. If they didn't have you know, any parents providing them cool stuff, they wanted what the other kids had. They went out there, they were doing work, hustling, you know, when they're like 10, 15, that range. And so it's almost like the what was put in front of you is it doesn't matter how hard you try. You can only make it so far in the current fr- in, in the framework that you were exposed to essentially. Right. Right. There, you know, and that's how it feels to a lot of people. I know that there are the people that get out. Uh, and, and I never believed that the world like that, but I also saw a lot of friends and other people. Uh, eventually, uh, I, I'm not sure what, how to phrase it, but, maybe bow down to it and just say, well, this is what life is going to be like. So mm-hmm. you ask them about... Yeah, you resign to, like, to that reality you've created. Right. I, I asked my brother about his dream. He's 24. And he said, I want to make like 60 to 80 grand a year, have a house, and just be like well off and know I don't have to worry. Like, that's not a dream. That's like something <laughs> attainable and easy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, hearing you talk about this, I'm hearing early almost like elements of it's almost like you had like decentralized parenting in a way where because you had like multiple people around, you had the babysitters. And then the moment where you, you know, I said, when am I going to get the title and the money? And they said, no, you're like, okay, so one person's in power here and is going to dictate this whole thing. That doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. Yeah. That, that very much was the, and I bounced around and did a few other jobs. I did. I went from sound uh, engineering, corporate sales, and had a fun time quitting out of corporate. Retired from that. I knew it wasn't for me after mm-hmm. a few years. And uh, then I got into the restaurant business and uh, thought I'd own bars and restaurants. Uh, I knew I wanted to go the more independent ownership route, and I probably would have stayed on that route if I didn't find uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum to really draw my interest. So I knew I had. Passion. I didn't have any passion in the restaurant business. I just saw that a lot of people were in it who weren't all that savvy. Uh, people tend to think like, "Oh yeah, I can do a restaurant. I eat all the time. I know exactly what I want." When in reality, food. restaurants I think are have the highest close, like shutting down rate, right? Well, maybe that's because there's so many people who think they can do it with absolutely <laughs> <Right>. no experience. <laughs> Chicken and egg, there, right? So you said. Um, you know, you started like playing around with Bitcoin. How did you first get exposed to the world of blockchain? Was it via crypto or was it a different route entirely? Yeah, it was via crypto. And I'm of the opinion that. And, and I want to make this, let me, sorry to cut you off. I want to make this like, as we talk as 101 as possible. So if, if someone is unfamiliar with cryptocurrency, can you explain, I guess, give your best definition of it? Yeah, so the the way I found it was a degenerate gambler friend that had to use Bitcoin because he would on gambling sites it would take like seven to fourteen days 
to get a check back for money if he wanted, but if he took Bitcoin, he could have it the next day. Like, well, this is something I should look into. He didn't because he's just a degenerate gambler. He told me to buy some, and I was just like, okay, it's like a sports bet. Like, put a couple hundred bucks on it and see if Kevin has anything. Like, I'm not particularly interested in Bitcoin. I'm just interested in this guy has good insight. Mm. And I looked at it for like two weeks, and it, it was boring. It didn't do anything. Didn't go up. Didn't go down. But it was like long term tech play. So I forgot about it. Uh, a while later, um, maybe eight months later, it was uh, February of 2017, a friend uh, came to me, the same friend in town, and uh, he actually works fairly high up for KPMG and told me his story about The degenerate him. gambler has happened. Yeah, he's actually incredibly smart. Degenerate gambler, <laughs> but uh, absolutely degenerate. And he listens to the house. <laughs> he knows. You're like he, he knows. knows. He's yeah, who he is. He knows. <laughs> you don't get to degenerate status without knowing it. <laughs> you might deny it, but you know it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he tells me about Ethereum and that some of the higher up guys that he really trusts their opinion on new tech and emerging trends. Uh, and what year was this? Uh, 2017. Okay, so it's pretty recent. Yep. Uh, so when when I went to don't buy it. He, he said, well, you should buy it because the Bitcoin tip I gave you did pretty well, right? I was like, I haven't looked at it since like two weeks after you told me. And when I looked at it, I was like, oh, this went up three, four times and I need to look at this Ethereum and see what it is. I, I went to YouTube and I found, first thing I found was a video of Vital Buter and the founder of Ethereum at uh, DevCon 2. He looked like this like alien person, he looked like a skinny version of the dude from Men in Black that like aliens trying to get out of his skin. And I'm like, wait a second, the guy who's like, so you want me to put my hands behind my the one yeah, who the becomes the giant man. bug at the end? Yeah. <laughs> dude, right? but, but Metallic's not a cockroach. He'd be something smaller, maybe an earwig. Anyway, <laughs> he, he he looked crazy. I'm like, why are there thousands of people in this room listening to this like teenager like talk about this? I started listening to what he said, and all of a sudden it made a lot of sense. To me, what he was saying was that we, we used to keep our files on our computer. And then we started having like a server, right? And it could be a server we built in our own house, uh, or it could be a server with like a company that we were directly attached to. Yeah, like a warehouse somewhere. It's right, yeah. right. <clears throat> and then this cloud thing came about and what the cloud was uh large companies could take advantage of economies of scale they could order thousands and thousands of hard drives and then store all your information way cheaper than you could do for the electricity and the price of the heart right so then we got aws services and google cloud and azure and that was not so much that we were storing it on a cloud which makes you think it's kind of out there around everybody it was just using some other dude's server. Right, yeah, and that's like the big like misperception, right? And then the it's not actually in the sky. It's just another server somewhere. Right, it's not, <laughs> it's not even supposed to be in the sky. It's just not supposed to be just some other dude's server who has enough money to buy so many yeah. and can work political deals to get like their electricity down and subsidies and so forth that then they can make the margin charging you just under the same amount you'd be paying for yours, mm -hmm. right? So they're extracting all that value 
from this system just for profit. The, the problem with shareholder-owned companies, right? It, the, the shareholders are literally entropy. They're waste. They're basically poop uh, from a system, right? It's what, what what is not able to be held and used efficiently in that. And the problem is, if you have enough money that you can bring your cost of everything down with economies of scale like that, now you're trying to make margin for your shareholders, which is basically this running from the zombies game, okay? Mm. You and I are running from the zombies. I don't have to run fast. I just got to run faster than you, right? Yeah. So I don't, if I'm Google running cloud services or Amazon, like we don't have to particularly uh, provide the best thing that we possibly can. We have no incentive to do that. We're incentivized to make as much money as we can for the shareholders, right? So those are two totally different incentive structures. So what blockchain does, and a lot of people talk about private blockchain or public blockchain. There's the invention of Bitcoin added an asset to what a blockchain data structure. You take three things. One is open source software. So anybody in the world can verify that there's no you know, secrets in there, backdoor things that are going to, mm. you know, enrich one person. Uh, you take cryptography. Uh, it's used in a couple different ways in this. One is called public-private key around 70. Uh, basically, it's like your email and your password. Public key is where somebody can send something to you, like your email address. You give it to anybody. Yep. The private key is like your password. Right? You don't give that to anybody. Yeah. Now, if we're talking about information like an email uh when somebody sends an email to you okay if somebody has your password they might be have access to whatever that email says in what bitcoin provides an internet of value or an internet of money if somebody takes your password they have your money now you combine the open source and this type of cryptography and the underlying asset is the third part because it allows a game theory setup. Now, to understand this game theory, you would have to uh, analyze like how this Bitcoin starts. Say a couple years in, because before, before like 2012, 2013, it's basically just these guys called cypherpunks who were trying to figure out how to build uh, systems with cryptography that would protect the privacy of individuals. That since they're the smartest in the world at this, they could fight against like the NSA and things that are over, uh, overstepping their boundaries on looking at, and that was their kind of justification here. Um, with Bitcoin, it was definitely more of a financial thing because even the second line of code it says the chancellor is on the brink of a second bailout of the banks. Mm. Like he put that in the code so people would remember that. Uh, so it's definitely a financial thing. Um, but really, those first few years, it's just me and you, two nerds, super good at doing cryptography and stuff, saying, can we create this system where somebody can hold a scarce digital asset? Which I think is like the, the creation of anything new starts with just the few nerds who, under, right, right? Like right. the internet, right? It yep. was just like a government-used thing, and then couple rich people had access to it and then you know like 1993 ish like aol comes out and then the mass 
audiences understand it and start using it. Any new technology is just held by like a few people at first who understand it, and then if it's good enough, the masses start to catch wind, and then there's ad- adoption later on, right? Exactly. Exactly. The um, thing that happened in 2012, 2013 was other people started to get on because all of a sudden buy things. Be- because these things are scarce, um, they have some innate value, and they didn't know exactly what it was. Once you have a market created for them, well, people can exchange them for dollars. They can exchange them for yuan. They can exchange them for mimbi, and it creates itself value. Now, all of a sudden, some kid can hook up his computer and all night run the Bitcoin protocol, and wake up in the morning with some Bitcoin. After a couple months, one day he's able to buy all his friends beer. Assume he bought beer, not both, and his friends all ask. How did you afford that? Where'd you get this money from? He tells him, well, if you run your computer at night on this Bitcoin thing, you get some Bitcoins, you can go over this side, sell them on a market, and what are his friends going to do? Same thing. Running their computer. The and that was all just like, that's all just like an automated, like, essentially like using like a, like an E-Trade or something like that. Like where there's just people who are, the transactions are just happening automatically. Well, the, the transaction happens that Bitcoin has an inflation rate. It's programmed into it that every 10 minutes is basically the heartbeat of Bitcoin. And every computer that is hooked up to it is looking at every single transaction and says, yes, that's a good transaction, or no, it's not. You get a certain number of transactions. This isn't the math at all, but it's easy for explaining it. Sure. Let's say 50 transactions are done, and then we box it up, we tape it up, we seal it, and we put a little code on the front and the back of that box, right? And then the next one, we take the code on the top of the box, and we write that on the bottom of the next box, right? So we know the order of these. Okay. So once you have these little boxes of transactions, those are your blocks. And in between each block, then we use the cryptography to secure it. So it would take a lot of computing power to actually break into the next and not only do you need to hack in and break into the next one on one computer or just amazon servers think how many things you've heard of getting hacked plenty like every every major company pretty much yeah basically it would be harder to name somebody who hasn't yeah in the bitcoin blockchain the blockchain has never been hacked because you would not only have to have the computing power to get through that encryption you would have to have the computing power to do that on every single computer. Now, remember how that kid is earning his books and he tells other friends to earn it? Yep. By having this underlying asset in the system, the Bitcoin, and rewarding people for running their computers, it decentralizes the system. It has more people participating in verifying every individual transaction and every block. And that many more computers that would individually have to be hacked at the same time to be able to overturn the previous data. Back with more Discover Your Inner Awesome in just a moment, but first, are you an early stage startup? If so, you're probably running on the messaging treadmill where you're trying to figure out how to pitch your company, how to tell the story, how to communicate, market, and sell this thing that you've built. But for every step you take forward, you get pulled back one, just like you're on a treadmill, because you're either too in the weeds, too technical, or 
Your attention is pulled in too many different directions. Oh, and on top of that, you're facing the everyday mental crisis of being an entrepreneur where you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe I am crazy. Maybe I should have listened to my family and just gotten that safe and secure six-figure job. Guess what? It's time to get off the treadmill. Introducing Hype Man Academy, my brand new affordable equity-free virtual accelerator designed to build a marketing playbook for your startup so you can confidently pitch investors with a clear and compelling message and go out and market and sell to get your first 10 or 20 or 30 customers. Hype Man Academy is a weekly live online workshop where you work alongside your fellow founders, support and help one another and get one-on-one access with me through virtual office hours. For information on joining the next cohort, visit startuphypeman.com slash hypeman hyphen academy. That's startuphypeman.com slash hypeman hyphen academy. Fill out an application and let's discuss. Back now to our regularly scheduled programming. Is it fair to say then that the blockchain structure is designed to incentivize good behavior as opposed to bad behavior? It would not. Uh, you could, it's not really a good or bad, it's a tool. Okay. And it is designed to decentralize the points of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what happens in Bitcoin is there's a voting process behind it. So let's say we wanted to change the inflation rate of how many Bitcoins come out every 10 minutes to reward the people who are giving their computing. Um, if you wanted to change that, you would have to put in a, what they call a proposal. And that proposal sits there. You're voting yes to it. Now, think in our government when we want to change something. Uh, we go through this process of getting it voted through and whatnot. In this democratic system, every single person whose computer is connected has the option to opt into voting that. So if this was gay marriage, you'd start walking around with your gay marriage hat, right? You're walking around with your rainbow hat. I'm like, what's that? They're like, dude, this is really good. Actually, it's going to be way better for society. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to run this. So I run the proposal. I put my hat on, mm. right? We're, all, we're both walking around with it. Now we convince a bunch of friends and all of a sudden in Chicago, it's like, man, there's a lot of people with it. In Bitcoin, once that proposal gets to 90% of people are opted into it, then it becomes code. And the other 10% of people just get automatically shipped off to Mexico. Huh. They're just seceded from the union. They're no longer <laughs> a part of it unless they update their code. Huh. So this is a governance of this money style, um, a governance of the protocol of the way we create that money uh, that allows for this very conservative opt-in model. Yeah. The difference is you can also opt out. You can sell your coin. If you don't like the governance of Bitcoin, you can sell it and go to Ethereum. Whereas, like, everybody said they were going to move to Canada when Trump was elected. Yeah. That is... It's, a, it, it's jumping it ship in the same fashion. You can't keep all of your, your value, right? Your mm. life, your friends, job, all that, and move up there. But in Bitcoin, if you don't like the governance of the money, then you can just sell your Bitcoin and buy Litecoin or another cryptocurrency. And it's the same rules, essentially. But it's just if you wanted to opt into something, each right. one has its own governance. Well, yeah, own governance, yeah. But like the the concept behind it yeah. is still the same, where there's a voting procedure and yeah, 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 and they all have different types of voting procedures. So we're actually seeing with these thousands of cryptos that have come out that there are now 
we are seeing governmental systems evolve and play out in a speed that we have never seen before. Uh, that's one of the most interesting things to me about this at all. It's not just about being able to democratize value, seeing um, a situation of monetary governance, um, which we've pretty much just given out to the central bank. Uh, the central bank system is pervasive the entire world through. It doesn't matter if you're the U.S. or a dictator in Africa. You probably have a central bank system. Right. Because it's a way to control people. And now we are able to opt in to the governance form we choose. Uh, I, I really thought that like Citizens United and money being speech was possibly like a bad thing. Because I always lean towards like, let's help people, let's do more for people. But I also like freedom. It was very difficult for me to grapple. Now I kind of see that um, all of a sudden it's coming back full circle. If money is speech, then we should have the freedom to believe in whatever money that we want to. And the, our country has already set the precedent that we can choose our own money. I like that a lot. If money is speech, we should have the freedom to spend whatever money we want to, was it? Right. We should be able to create whatever money we want. Or create whatever and money. And be able to exchange value with each other however we want, because essentially it's just an idea that you and I agree on something. There's a consensus between you and me that this trade is worth it. It doesn't matter. Right, and, and that's at the end of the day. Like That's all that... Like money isn't a real thing. It's it's literally it's just an agreed upon social structure that says, "Hey, this carries X value to it," and there's a general agreement that it carries X value. Right. And when that agreement changes, then like there's a general agreement that you know a Camry is worth say thirty five thousand dollars. Yeah. If a Camry's three years old, there's a general agreement that that Camry is now worth twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah. In the same sense, it sounds like in the crypto world, the blockchain crypto world, it's like, hey, there's general agreement that Bitcoin is, what, t one Bitcoin is $10,000 right now. It's a freely traded market that runs 24-7. So somebody with a lot of money because it's a smaller market cap can manipulate that. But as the total market cap of it goes up, we are going to see that it's going to be a lot more difficult anybody to manipulate and we're coming close to that point I, the consensus is important a lot of people believe that gold is like the ultimate value and there's a good reason for that because for most of the u.s history we were all just minting our own currency around the country somebody would take gold from one market in indiana to chicago they bring it to a bank that bank would write bank notes that bank was the trust mm -hmm. between a community now, we all want to find this trust because we can efficiently operate with each other. And it's a lot better. Like, evolution-wise, we're born to, like, find, like, love, find a partner, find trust. Because you can make superhuman decisions with that person. You know what they're going to do. Um, there, there's a part of game theory that literally shows that you have to make less than the best decisions for yourself when you're doing something with somebody else because you have to assume that they may not have your best interest in mind. But if you have trust, then you can make better decisions. What blockchain enables through 
through having a protocol that's agreed upon that you opt into, you're not forced into by government. You buy a piece of it and participate in ownership of this collaboration. What, what that really allows is you to have that same level of superhuman decision-making trust with larger groups of people. And it doesn't have to be brokered by a bank or a government. It can be brokered by the people who are participating. Well, and, and the other reason why I'm, I'm learning this is so powerful is, is, you know, if you step away from the money aspect of it is, uh, recently I was listening to, I got, I got into Oprah's podcast, Oprah's Super Soul Sessions. It's amazing. And it's, it's actually really more of like a life, spirituality, life's purpose kind of show. But she had an episode with Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas, who's also a big tech investor. He does a lot of initiatives around artificial intelligence. And the, the episode was the future of AI and social media. And what he talked about in that was how data is the, mo- is the highest value currency now. Because... He's like, you know, for, you know, for the history of this country, any country, like the bank has had the most power, right? They hold the money. Right. And if you hold the money, you hold the power. But, Montana toss that. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he's like, but now it's shifted because, you know, who's more powerful than Bank of America? Facebook. Facebook doesn't own any of your money. They don't even have anything to sell you. They run ads, but Facebook itself has no product it can sell to you, the user, and it's free to use it. You don't have to pay money to open an account with Facebook. But what they do have is data, and right. that's what they ultimately sell to their you know, end customers, and it's, that's what's more powerful now than money is data. I, I'd agree that, they, uh, that data is a thing and it's very powerful. But uh, I don't think that is the most powerful thing. I think what we're finding with blockchains right now is that we are trying to build a consensus and figure out what is the most powerful thing. Think about this. If we're keeping score in U.S. dollars and the Fed is putting out 6 to 14% a year in inflation on those dollars, just printing, the actual value of those dollars is going down. So if we're going to measure the value of Bitcoin in dollars, we are not we're using a basis of something else that's already being um, manipulated. Yeah, and that's where sort of up to this point where I've seen a disconnect is, is the fact that, and maybe it's because it's what we know, but we're evaluating Bitcoin on how much is it worth if you cash it out and spend it in U.S. dollars, which to me, I'm like, okay, so then the dollar is technically still more powerful if you're just basing it on this scale, right? Right. And, and especially because you have trust in large groups and those groups can be expanded fast, you no longer have like one-to-one relationships. One, you to me to a bank. You can have a group of people who trust each other equally in an endeavor that they're going about together. Um, this to me says that over time, the idea of the butterfly effect, that like a butterfly flaps wings and a hurricane happens across the world, that takes time into the situation. And over time, the effects of this are going to be exponential because they're not one-on-one. People, people do not see what the effect of this overall is going to be yet. 
And I think a big part of this is because we're having a hard time separating uh, the idea of uh, money and value. Um, and, and money is very much a, it can be a store of value. Yeah, it's a representation of value, right. but it is not itself. You have account, so yeah. we can not have to remember how many chickens you owe me and how many jackets I owe you, right? So we use money to account. It can be a medium of exchange because it's hard to like carry around like huge rocks that have value in the past. They're like boulders that have value. <laughs> you know, there, there's even stories of like a boulder that two tribes were bringing back and forth and dropped in the middle of the lake and they accounted that in their system because they're like, we know it's there. It's a giant boulder in the middle of the lake. <laughs> right? uh, so value is something different. I, th- I think value is actually a very good term because we, we also talk about values. Like, what do you believe in? Mm. Like, what, what is your definition of value? You're asking me? Yeah. yeah. The belief system to which you hold yourself as, like, to that standard to? That's a choppy sentence, but essentially the standards think, you, and beliefs you hold yourself to? I think that's a great definition because it's to which you hold yourself to. So if there's a form of governance out there that is not uh, up to your standard and you hold yourself to a higher standard, your, value you would tell, your values would tell you that you need to opt out of that system, correct? Yeah. And that's what people were expecting. Well, and like here's a, here, to make this really tangible, like for example, when a handful of my friends started doing like hard drugs, I decided I don't really like want to hang around that. And so I, I opted out of more or less of those friendships. Yes, that's exactly it. That's the exact same thing as the move to Canada Trump dilemma. Yeah. The problem is you have a bunch of other intangible things on it. Now, if money is our power, we, we've established that, and you're able to opt out of the money system because it's being used in a perverse or bad way, governance of it is not working, well, that gives you that ability to say that our values aren't rooted in the money that it's worth. Our values is rooted in the consensus of what we believe in. So what will actually, in blockchains in the future, what will give a blockchain value is a consensus that holds itself to really the greatest democratic vote of the entire world, saying this is what we believe in. Mm. This is what we stand for. So the earlier and the sooner that people can understand that they need to look at the governance of these structures, that their governments should have no say in what they can believe, whether that's a religion or a currency. Um, and the sooner that people realize that when they're selecting this currency, the, the dollar values are really poor uh, determinant. What we have to find is a greater consensus. Is it a consensus of honesty? Is it a consensus of people who build things, who are creators? Uh, is it now a, it's like the Lego movie. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is it a consensus of the master builders? It is. <laughs> that movie's phenomenal. <laughs> who knew they were talking about blockchain the whole time? <laughs> I, actually, that movie is one of the best explainers of blockchain possible. It really is. Yeah. yeah. All right. I want to spend a few minutes here um, talking about Chicago Blockchain Project. Because, well, I mean, it's, it's the organization you founded, but it's not really that old, right? It's only a couple of years old, and it started as just a meetup group. Yeah. 
Yeah, less than a year old uh, for Chicago blockchain project. Um, the the meetup's a little older than that, but then by uh, August uh, last year, I left my previous job, realized we had to find a way to monetize this and create. Well, and what and what were what were the meetups called, and what was the focus of them? Uh, originally, we called it uh, Chicago Crypto Enthusiasts, and it was me and like four or five people would show up at bar and we just talk about bitcoin and cryptocurrencies that were coming out and try to figure out this thing so almost how like a bunch of guys might get together and discuss like what team is lebron james going to go to yeah you would do that for bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies exactly okay exactly <laughs> and uh i've never felt so nerdy in my life <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. My friends and I get together and talk about where the wrestling storylines are going to go. So <laughs> we beat you in that category. That works. I actually feel better now. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, the idea kind of came that there was so much information coming out very quickly that you couldn't keep track of it yourself. And we started saying, well, let's divvy it up. Let's all take different parts and pieces. We'll study it. We'll come back with the most pertinent information. And then we'll, we'll keep it all in one place, track it together. And after a little bit, we realized, well, maybe we should, instead of just Joe giving presentations, uh, we'll let other people give some presentations and talk about what they're doing in the space and try and understand or learn about. And then we said, well, if we get a sponsor for this or if somebody wants to pay us for this data that we're aggregating, like a hedge fund or something, how would we split that up? And that's, that's the, the basis of it, where then we realized, oh, Chicago Blockchain Project, this is a thing. This is um, a thing where people can uh, contribute and tell the world what their value is in this system rather than being told what to work. And they can, let's say we tokenize that value. So think of this. We get a $100 sponsor. Uh, that $100 gets put into a smart contract. We can all see it and verify it. And that's what smart contract is. Everyone has access to it. A smart contract is on a, a blockchain. And what, what it is, it's basically like a vending machine. It holds it in escrow, right? Uh, you put your quarters in. You have to complete a certain action, like hitting like A7. A7. Ah, we both said A7. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and then it the code executes whatever it's supposed to do when that certain determinant was met. Um, so we said, let's, let's take the value that we get, put it into a smart contract. Uh, anytime somebody contributes value, we give them a token, and then we allow them to exchange that for the value uh, out of the smart contract. And since then, we've been uh, going much deeper into the... Um, the technical aspects, what is the best way to do this? Which one of them uh, has uh, the best interest of our values in order? Like, is it better for us to find out how to build this on Bitcoin using the Lightning Network uh, than to build on Ethereum or some other blockchain, hmm. uh, specifically because of its decentralization or governance characteristics? That's very important to us to build on the system that gives all of our constituents the most, uh, most say in what we do. It's not a fully decentralized idea. It's really using tools of blockchain to allow people to 
contribute at the level they want to and be able to earn their contribution. Yeah. So then today, so Chicago, you end up, uh, I believe you end up getting an investment for Chicago Blockchain Project, right? So we got investment to run the uh, Voice of Blockchain. Okay. Okay. So what is, before we get into the conference, what function does Chicago Blockchain Project serve today? So today we, we are doing a lot of meetups and we do what we call uh, builder and project sessions. So basically every Thursday, sometimes Tuesdays, we'll have uh, three or four projects from Chicago, Chicagoland area uh, come into the office. We do like an hour of basically listening to them and finding out where they're at and a little bit of coaching. Um, our future model, uh, it's like a decentralized incubator model almost. Uh, if you have a project and you've learned things, what we want to do from the team side is keep track of what everybody's doing and point out places where there's synergies where people can collaborate. We even want to take some of that tokenized value that we get from the sponsorships and things that we make as a community, that the value is only there because we're a community, and take some of that and literally pay people to collaborate with each other. So we need to know what all the builders are doing, what all the projects are that the builders come together and create. Mm. Uh, we believe in projects and not companies. And the difference is that a project is trying to solve a problem. The company is interested in the life of the company. We just want to see problems and solutions. And having these large trust mechanisms goes way deeper because things like uh, climate change or we were discussing before the podcast, uh, the amount of wastefulness and energy that it takes for uh, meat production and trying to feed, you know, seven and a half billion people. You don't think about how much toothpaste we go through like every day. And all these things are problems of like a growing population. Um, the, we, we need to be looking for solutions. And what those solutions are involves, I think, the outliers, the uh, Malcolm Gladwell, the idea of, we're looking at what the average person can do, but there's extraordinary people. Hmm. And if extraordinary people can be backed by a bunch of people who believe in them with extraordinary levels of trust, that know that they will partake in the value in a fair way of the equity of solving the world's greatest problems, that the, the community that participates can be as small or as large as it wants to be, how many people can we bring together to solve a problem like climate change? That's pretty interesting. And I think that's uh, it's a noble cause at the end of the day. I, I think that's why everybody who's a part of it is doing it. Um, they either feel it and possibly can't articulate it, uh, or they're working on a project and they know that it's democratizing action, whatever... Uh, sovereign level of understanding that they have, they are working their hardest to make that different world at the level that they have. Let's talk for real quick, just about 60 seconds, maybe 90 seconds, about the Voice of Blockchain conference coming up pretty quick here, uh, August 24th through 26, 2018, right here in Chicago on Navy Pier, right? Yeah, at Navy Pier. Uh, we wanted to bring something big to Chicago, something huge. Uh, we've had a year in of these ICOs being a thing, and what happened was because it's an easy democratize, anybody has access to this funding model, 
a lot of scammers were in early. Um, that doesn't mean that it's an illegitimate way of using or thing to do. It really just means that anybody can IPO at any time with no regulatory oversight, no borders, and no government can control it. Uh, so what governments can do is they can regulate it, say you're going to jail afterwards, mm. uh, but they can't stop the process from happening. Uh, so a lot of criminals got into that because it turns out they're fairly risk averse people. And we wanted to bring the conversation back to the values. Um, and we wanted to allow anybody to understand these values. So whether it's the uh, business people who operate the solution to the problems or the artists who are the people that can envision what the world could be like. Mm. Uh, the entrepreneurs paint a vision of how the world could be better, and then you need some people that come in behind them and clean up their mess and make it usable. And uh, we want to bring those people together so we have we're flying in people from all over the world. Uh, we're looking at governments and municipalities that have found best and worst use cases of blockchain. Uh, places where governments have been overthrown by the transparency and immutability uh, of blockchain. There are places that have been uh, newly democratized and all of a sudden have booming economies like Panama and uh, Lima. And we want to see what they're doing and bringing them together with uh, some of the biggest politicians in U.S. Uh, and the world to look at this. Uh, some of the biggest projects, most notable projects that are building big things. And uh, really show the world that Chicago is going to be the North American, at least, hub of blockchain, if not the blockchain capital. That's awesome. You'll be flying people in from all over the world. I'll be Ubering in from down the street. Yeah, we're to have you there. <laughs> so I'll be I'll be speaking on uh, not necessarily on on blockchain, but on communication side of things and and pitching because all these all these blockchain startups. What I've found interesting is it's it's almost like because they're in the blockchain ecosystem, it doesn't necessarily like their differentiator isn't that they're a blockchain startup, and so they've got to find what's their real value proposition. Right, right. And it wasn't that way a year ago. And now we're getting in a place where UI, UX, and mm -hmm. uh, crafting your pitch, crafting your story are very important because great projects are going to get passed up. They don't have the help. Before we wrap up, can you let our listeners know, um, just remind the dates of the conference, uh, where they can learn more, uh, where they can learn about Chicago Blockchain Project and get in touch with you. Yeah, the uh, ChicagoBlockchainProject.com website has information for all of it. Uh, you can go to VoiceOfBlockchain.com. The conference will be at Navy Pier on August 24th and August 25th. Use code CBPMEETUP, in all caps, no space, for a discount. And uh, we, we hope to see a lot of Chicago there because you've been getting a lot of good information. We have a whole good track. Uh, the developer side, the fintech and market side, and we'll bring it up. Yeah, and I, and I really think the way to approach this from if you're thinking about attending is, or just the blockchain conversation in general, is quit thinking about, oh, it's blockchain, and I don't understand it yet, therefore I can't get involved. Like, it's literally like, it's a, it's a tool. It's not, like, like, like you said, like there's, there's social good track at this conference. Like, if you care about social good, 
go for that. And then don't think so much about like, what's the technological mechanism behind it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have some awesome social good partners. Uh, when I was talking to you the other day, they're called a good country. They're only uh, Madeline Claire hung out of, uh, is LA or uh, San Diego. At least when we were talking, <laughs> they're, they're actually developing a country uh, based on these principles. So you think like Estonia, um, but they have a centralized hmm. uh, data system. Why don't we create a country of values that is just a good country with a good consensus? <laughs> right? That's interesting. Right? So ev- everything from, from that to uh, things on renewable energy, um, philanthropy, uh, Sharon and our team has an awesome project with data philanthropy. Um, we actually put ethics as uh, one of our roles because we have to have ethics. Uh, to be able to create systems represent our values. Right. Um, so all, all, all of it's there. I think there's something, no matter what industry, somebody's kind of part of, like uh, the internet, uh, 1990. Yeah. So then to wrap up, that's a good segue then. To wrap up, let's give what we believe our answer is to the question today, our topic question. I'll go first and then I'll let you close out, Joe. So the question is, is blockchain the new internet? Let's give a yes or no, followed by explanation. So I got to tell you, I learned a ton just from this conversation and where I felt really confused before. I feel like there's a spectrum of super confused to confused to not confused to knowing it. I'm somewhere in like that, like confused, maybe entering the knowing it, or sorry, the not confused to, to to starting to know it's part of that spectrum. So I've come a long way in less than an hour. Um, and and I, I will say, I think, is blockchain the new internet? Based on what we discussed, I think yes. And, and the best way I can think about it, and I hope I'm right here, but if I'm wrong, please, let, please correct me, is that it's the same principle that the, the internet as we know it is, the, is, is an authoritarian rule. Blockchain is democratic rule. And if you look at the history of the world, a tyrannical empire always falls because the people rebel against the rules that they're told they have to follow. And democracy ends up uh, being the, the hope, ultimately. And in the, in the success cases, it ends up being the, the, the lay of the land moving forward. So to me, that's how I'm picturing this is Traditional internet is the tyrannical rule because a group of people or a small group of people are in power. Blockchain is bringing, putting the power in the people's hands and making it democratic. Yeah, I, I'd say it is the new internet and it, it, exactly what the internet did for information that made that anybody can have access to it. Now we're doing that to value. So the new internet it doesn't apply to one use of cryptocurrency is first application. Really anything of value in our lives can now be represented digitally and had uh, incredible effect. So anybody who an entrepreneur raising money, not the ICO side, literally how the value goes is the amount of risk there's a huge opportunity. Um in tokenizing any asset because it lowers the risk from 
one person holding that large asset to you know, millions of little pieces of people. I bet. Uh, and that's a really cool application. And we haven't even started to see uh, what they call decentralized applications, which will then be at the point where blockchain becomes like the internet is now. They're the best internet uh, features and applications. We don't say, hey, I'm using internet. <laughs> we, we talk about the application we're using. Right. Right. Now that there's value in the protocol of the internet, uh, when we start to see those decentralized applications where you don't know you're using blockchain, that's when the game. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll change that. Because why would you use Facebook if you don't pay for Mike? Hmm. We'll, we'll leave him on that. Disruption Joe. Thank you for coming on the show today. That wrapped up our conversation. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the absolute best compliment you can give is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show. Therefore, more people can discover their inner awesome. And if you want to extend that compliment further, while you're leaving that review, go ahead and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or the various other networks in which you can find this show. For full show notes, references, and resources, as well as access to the over 100-episode archive, visit the podcast official site, www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. And remember, for tips, strategies, and ideas on how to build up your company's hype with a message that sings, visit StartupHypeMan.com. Season 10's theme song is from Sir the Baptist. The song is called Dance with the Devil. It is off his album Saint or Sinner, which you can grab on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, and anywhere else digital music is distributed. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you again to this week's guest for joining us. I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to Startup Hype Man's Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. It's a dance with the devil.